0: Running.
1: Lift off. We have a lift off. Good evening. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here at Evening News on WSB, the phone number 404 872 750 WSB talk to get a sense of the release of the Mueller report today. We need to start with something that happened at the White House uh, early this morning. Uh, several reporters went into the White House, uh, the president's, uh, Marine band was there. They were playing songs and the song that was playing at the time was Edelweiss. Edelweiss, you know, the song it's from sound of music is a Rogers and Hammerstein song that the Von Trapp family sang, uh, a- as opposed to singing the Nazi anthem. It was a-, a defiance of the Nazis and Edelweiss became a song of resistance it was playing in the White House today, and there's a show on Netflix. It only gets about a million viewers. Uh, Rogers and Hambers, by the way, The Sound of Music has been seen by over a billion people. Uh, and this show on Netflix, or uh, Amazon, rather, Amazon Prime, Man in High Castle, gets about a million, 1.1 million viewers, according to Variety. Well... In the, in the show, it's basically a subversion of what happened if the Nazis had won, and Edelweiss is a song played by the Nazis. So these reporters, uh, who have identified themselves as fans of the Man of the High Castle show went into the White House, heard the song playing, and presumed the president was doubling down on his hateful rhetoric and white nationalism and Nazi sympathies because Edelweiss was playing. The military band was actually playing a selection of Rodgers and Hammerstein songs. Uh, Several songs from uh, Sound of Music were playing in addition to Oklahoma and and other Rodgers and Hammerstein famous songs. But that set the tone for the Mueller report unveiling today. A number of reporters who hate the president went in and presumed to Immediately that the president was having the song played as a, as a defiant act in the run, run to the Mueller report. And it really did. Multiple reporters from multiple outlets uh, ran with this story. And so I have debated all day in that frame, uh, how do I present the Mueller report to you? And I reached out to the White House and was willing to have some people on. I had a couple of members of Congress reach out and say they would be happy to come on. And I finally decided No because everyone is too busy spinning. The Mueller report is more complicated uh, than the spin. The White House says the president's been completely exonerated. That's not true. Uh, The reporters are saying that the president is clearly guilty of something, and that's not true either. So I decided what I want to do, and and I got to give Ben Shapiro some credit here, because he actually uh, got a lot of the screenshots of this, and I'm going to read you the excerpts of the Mueller report. Now, excerpts, why? The report is 450 pages long plus appendices. I'm not going to read the entire report, but there are excerpts. And what I mean by excerpts is you can go page by page through the Mueller report, and in the unredacted stuff, you can essentially, the way the Mueller report is designed is there is a paragraph that explains what happened, and then the subsequent paragraphs detail the key introductory paragraph. It's good legal writing. So I don't need to read you every single paragraph of the Mueller report to tell you what happened. I can read you the key excerpts uh, that, that is premised on, and I want to do that to you so you don't hear me analyze the Mueller report. I will get to the analysis of the Mueller report, but the odds are most of what you've heard today has been a partisan analysis, even partisanship by the reporters. So let me just give you the Mueller report in the Mueller reports on words and let you make up your mind before I tell you what I think. We begin here, the social media campaign and the GRU that would be the Russians hacking operations coincided with a series of contacts between Trump campaign officials and individuals with ties to the Russian government. The office investigated whether these contacts reflected or resulted in the campaign conspiring or coordinated with Russia in its election interference activities. Although the investigation established that the Russian government perceived it would benefit from a Trump presidency and worked to secure that outcome and that the campaign expected it would benefit electorally from information stolen and released through Russian efforts, the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. While the investigation identified numerous links between individuals with ties to the Russian government and individuals associated with the Trump campaign, the evidence was not sufficient to support criminal charges. Among other things, the evidence was not sufficient to charge any campaign official as an unregistered agent of the Russian government or other Russian principal. And our evidence about the June 9, 2016 meeting and WikiLeaks, uh, the June 9, 2016, that's the meeting with uh, Natalia Vilsnitskaya in Trump Tower. Our evidence about the June 9 meeting and WikiLeaks releases of hacked materials was not sufficient to charge a criminal campaign finance violation. Further, the evidence was not sufficient to charge that any member of the Trump campaign conspired with representatives of the Russian government to interfere in the 2016 election. The special prosecutor investigated several other events that have been publicly reported to involve potential Russia-related contacts. For example, the investigation established that interactions between Russian Ambassador uh, Kislyak and Trump campaign officials, both at the candidate's April 2016 foreign policy speech in Washington, D.C., and during the week of the Russia, uh, Republican National Convention, was were brief, public, and non-substantive. The investigation did not establish that one campaign official's efforts to dilute a portion of the Republican Party platform on behalf uh, of or assistance to Ukraine were undertaken at the behest of candidate Trump or Russia. The investigation also did not establish that a meeting between Kislyak and Sessions in September 2016 at Sessions Senate office included any more than a passing mention of the presidential campaign. Now, okay, so what this is about, this relates to Jeff Sessions. In April of 2016, the president gave a foreign policy speech in Washington DC and Jeff Sessions was there and the Russian ambassador Kislyak was there. There have been people who alleged that Jeff Sessions was in on the conspiracy to coordinate with the Russians to steal the election. And Jeff Sessions, when asked by Congress if he had any contacts, uh, said he did not have contact. Well, turns out that there was video of Jeff Sessions talking to the Russian ambassador at this event in the uh, in April of 2016, it was at the, oh, what's the hotel there? The, the Mayflower Hotel in Washington. And Sessions, said, he said he just, he forgot it was only in passing. So this was part of the special prosecutor's investigation. And in fact, they turned out it was just in passing. Uh, it was brief, public, and non-substantive. There were also efforts by Paul Manafort and his associate, I think Rick Gates is his name, to dilute Republican Party platform positions on Ukraine uh, in a way that would have helped Russia. There were allegations that perhaps the Trump campaign was doing this to benefit the Russians and that Paul Manafort was coordinating it. And according to the Mueller investigation, that's not true either. Um, Those are key bits of media reporting from the last three years, not just two years, but three years, that the Mueller report is saying were not true. Now, here's more. Further, the office learned that some of the individuals we interviewed or whose conduct we investigated, including some associated with the Trump campaign, deleted relevant communications or communicated during the Irrelevant period using applications that feature encryption or that do not provide for long term retention of data or communications records. In such cases, the office was not able to corroborate witness statements through comparison to contemporaneous communications or fully question witnesses about statements that appeared inconsistent with other known facts. Accordingly, while this report embodies factual and legal determinations that the office believes to be accurate and complete to the greatest extent possible, given these identifying gaps, the office cannot rule out the possibility that the unavailable information would shed additional light. Light on or cast in a new light the uh, events described in this report that's something that should just uh, ethically trouble folks uh that there were people within the white house can't i shouldn't say the white house within the campaign who use message services like wicker and elsewhere uh, that automatically delete the messages and keep no records of it so if they were conspiring that information would have been deleted however the Mueller report goes on to say that uh there is enough other uh corroborating data that they can pretty much put Uh, piece together what actually happened and that that information might have shed some new light on it but based on what they know so far probably wouldn't have here's more starting in june of 2016 the ira conducted different this is ira uh this is the not a not the irish republican army this is the the group in russia helping to try to shift the election the ira contacted different U.S. persons affiliated with the Trump campaign in an effort to coordinate pro-Trump IRA-organized rallies inside the United States. In all cases, the IRA contacted the campaign while claiming to be U.S. political activists working on behalf of a conservative grassroots organization. The IRA's contacts included requests for signs and other materials to use at rallies, as well as requests to promote the rallies and help coordinate logistics. While certain campaign volunteers agreed to provide the requested support, for example, agreeing to set up a number of signs, the investigation has not identified evidence that any Trump campaign official understood the requests were coming from the Russians. In other words, the Russians set up a grassroots front group in the United States, and it was all controlled by the Russian government, but no one in this country involved in the campaigns, and this is this is not in this excerpt, but, it, but it's they imply there as well, no one, the Trump campaign or the Clinton campaign, knew these groups because they also did it to the Clinton campaign. No one knew that these groups were actually... Organized by the Russians. Nobody did. Now here's more. Beginning in the summer of 2016, Julian Assange and WikiLeaks made a number of statements about Seth Rich, the former Democratic National Committee staff member who was killed in July of 2016. The statements about Rich implied falsely that he had been the source of the stolen DNC emails. On August 9, 2016, the WikiLeaks Twitter account posted, Announce, WikiLeaks has decided to issue a $20,000 reward for information leading to the conviction for the murder of DNC staffer Seth Rich. Likewise, on August 25, 2016, Assange was asked in an interview, Why are you so interested in Seth Rich's killer? And Assange responded, We're very interested in anything that might be a threat to alleged WikiLeaks sources. The interviewer responded to Assange's statements by commenting, I know you don't want to reveal your source, but it certainly sounds like you're suggesting a man who leaked information to WikiLeaks was then murdered. And Assange replied, if there's someone who's potentially connected to our publication and that person has been murdered in suspicious circumstances, it doesn't necessarily mean that the two are connected, but it's a very serious matter. That type of allegation is very serious and is taken very seriously by us. After the U.S. Intelligence Committee publicly announced this assessment that Russia was behind the hacking operation, Assange continued to deny that the Clinton materials were released by WikiLeaks had come from Russian hacking. According to media reports, Assange told a U.S. congressman the DNC hack was an inside job and purported to have physical proof the Russians did not give materials to Assange. That relates, you should know, to... The Fox News situation, where there were people on Fox News uh, speculating that Seth Rich had been murdered and at the same time were working with or building up relationships with WikiLeaks. And it turns out this was all a well-coordinated effort to cast doubt and and misdirection on the fact that the Russians had obtained Hillary Clinton's information. Uh, Makes not just people on the campaign look bad, but outside people as well uh, who have been championing WikiLeaks and the president's team. More on this when we come back. Okay guys, a quick timeout for this week's sponsor and you know the I get a script when you do a live read You get a script and it gives you suggested talking points And so this week the sponsor is my butterfly pillow and I appreciate it And you know the script starts that not all of us sleep the same way 63% of americans sleep on their side Are you one of them and then talks about my butterfly pillow forget the script I can do this one Why can I do this one because i've been traveling with my butterfly pillow? When I have to stay in hotels of late, because, you know, hotel pillows, just they, they're like pancakes. I mean, they're really, really, really fluffy and you put your head on them and they, I mean, flat out pancakes. And I have stayed at a hotel recently where I know there was a bunch of road noise. And so one of the cool things about my butterfly pillow is that in addition to being adjustable, I mean, you can adjust the height on this thing, but it also has a Bluetooth night owl speaker. So you can actually stream from your phone to the pillow. And listen to music or podcast, or I use the call map when I'm in a hotel and listen to it on my butterfly pillow. So you get a soft pillow, but it doesn't flatten out like a pancake and you can adjust it. So it it supports your neck. Your neck doesn't get cricked. It's just, it's, it's a great pillow. It is thoughtfully designed clearly by people who have had these problems. And, you know, as the script says, it, it keeps your neck and spine in alignment throughout the night. Even if you switch sides, it really does really am a fan of this pillow and listeners to my show can save $30 off the list price of $129. Use code Eric at checkout and you'll get My Butterfly Pillow for just $99 and free shipping in the continental United States. Go to MyButterflyPillow.com and enter code Eric at checkout. Save $30 and get free shipping. That's MyButterflyPillow.com Check out code Eric and the great thing about it is you can take it with you to these hotels that have these horrible, horrible fluffy pillows that flatten out like pancakes. You can use My Butterfly Pillow and get a good night's sleep. Well, let's try this all again. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750, Atlanta's evening news here on WSB. Uh, If you're just tuning in uh, beyond the the issues we've been having here, instead of having multiple people come on today uh, to give their spin on the Mueller report, What I decided to do is I'm reading you the key portions of the report. And what I mean by the key portions is I'm not cherry picking the report. Uh, every portion of the report has a major paragraph and then subsequent paragraphs explain the major paragraph. And so I'm going through reading the major paragraphs. And, and the task has been made easy. I'm going to give some credit to Ben Shapiro, who actually went through this morning and started screenshotting them. And I'm, I'm adding to them as I go along. Uh, so I'm reading you the key paragraphs and then kind of explaining them to you. Because you you need to understand what's going on. And so many of the reporters are doing deeply partisan analyses, doubling down on the president is guilty of something. They just don't know what. And too many of the president's supporters are unwilling to note that the report actually does make the president come off very badly. Uh, There were things that the White House did that they should not have done, things the president did that he should not have done. Uh, And we'll get to some of those. Uh, I want to keep reading now. This now is about uh, some of the leaks from WikiLeaks and interaction with the with the presidential campaign and with the Trump family as well. Uh, key portion here. Several hours later, that is several hours after um, some of the leaks and a Twitter direct message from WikiLeaks. Donald Trump Jr. emailed a variety of senior staff. "Quote, guys, I got a weird Twitter DM from WikiLeaks. See below." I tried the password and it works, and the about section they reference contains the next pick in terms of who is behind it. Not sure if this is anything, but it seems like it's really WikiLeaks asking me as I follow them, and it is a direct message. Do you know the people mentioned and what the conspiracy they are looking for could be? These are just screenshots, but it's a fully built-out page claiming to be a pack. Let me know your thoughts and if we want to look into it. Trump Jr. attached a screenshot of the about page for the unlaunched site putintrump.org. The next day, after the website had launched publicly, Trump Jr. sent a direct message to WikiLeaks, off the record, I don't know who that is, but I'll ask around, thanks. On October 3rd, 2016, WikiLeaks sent another direct message to Trump Jr. asking you guys to help disseminate a link alleging uh, Hillary Clinton had advocated using a drone to target Julian Assange. Trump Jr. responded he had already done that and asked, what's behind this Wednesday leak I keep reading about? WikiLeaks did not respond. On October 12th, the next week, WikiLeaks wrote again that it was great to see you and your dad talking about our publications. Strongly suggest your dad tweet this link if he mentions us uh, and it, it's a search link. WikiLeaks wrote that the link would help Trump in digging through leaked emails and stated, quote We just released Podesta emails part four. Two days later, Donald Trump Jr. publicly tweeted that link. So, in other words, um, there was a standoffish relationship between the Trump campaign and WikiLeaks. They were not directly coordinating. Uh, WikiLeaks had put stuff up that Donald Trump Jr. had already tweeted out and and WikiLeaks would send Donald Trump Jr. a tweet and say, hey, y'all should push that out. And he may not do it immediately, but there was not an ongoing coordination effort between the two. And it's also very clear that no one in the Trump organization, including Donald Trump Jr., actually knew that WikiLeaks was coordinating with the Russians. Now, this is another key point Throughout 2016, the Trump campaign expressed interest in Hillary Clinton's private email server and whether approximately 30,000 emails from that server had, in fact, been permanently destroyed, as reported by the media. Several individuals associated with the campaign were contacted in 2016 about various efforts to obtain the missing Clinton emails and other stolen materials in support of the Trump campaign. Some of these contacts were met with skepticism, and nothing came of them. Others were pursued to some degree. The investigation did not find evidence that the Trump campaign recovered any Clinton emails or that these contacts were part of a coordinated effort between Russia and the Trump campaign. This again undermines one of the key things we've heard in the media for three years, that the, the Trump campaign was working with the Russians to uncover these deleted Hillary Clinton emails. In fact, uh, there were some uh, there were some efforts to reach out to the Trump campaign and coordinate with them, but nothing came of them. There were other efforts pursued and they couldn't find the Clinton email campaigns. So it is very clear there were people associated with the campaign, who were talking to individuals about trying to find the Clinton emails. They never did find the Clinton emails. There are other people within the campaign, so some associated with the campaign and some inside the campaign. The ones associated with the campaign apparently were having more substantive conversations than those inside the campaign, and those inside the campaign treated everything skeptically. That's another big issue here. But on top of it all, none of them knew at all that they were dealing with the Russians. One more excerpt here before we go to break. On November 3rd, 2015, the day after the Trump Organization transmitted uh, its letter of intent, um, Sater emailed Cohen, this is the lawyers, suggesting that the Trump Moscow project could be used to increase candidate Trump's chances of being elected, writing, buddy, our boy can become president of the USA and we can engineer it. I will get all of Putin's team to buy in on this, I will manage the process. Michael, Putin gets on stage with Donald for a ribbon-cutting for Trump Moscow, and Donald owns the Republican nomination and possibly beats Hillary, and our boy is in. We will manage this process better than anyone. You and I will get Donald and Vladimir on a stage together very shortly. That's the game-changer. Later that day, Seder followed up, Seder being uh, working for Trump Organization. Donald doesn't stare down. He negotiates and understands the economic issues, and Putin only wants to deal with a pragmatic leader, and a successful businessman is a good candidate for someone who knows how to negotiate. Business, politics, whatever it is, is the same for someone who knows how to deal with it. The investigation identified evidence that during the period that Trump Moscow project was under consideration, the possibility of candidate Trump visiting Russia arose in two contexts first in interviews with the office michael cohen stated that he discussed the subject of traveling to russia with trump twice once in late 2015 and again in spring 2016 according to cohen trump indicated a willingness to travel if it would assist the project significantly on one occasion trump told cohen to speak with then campaign manager Corey lewandowski to coordinate the schedule cohen recalls that he spoke to lewandowski who suggested that they speak again when cohen has actual dates to evaluate Cohen indicated, however, that he knew that travel prior to the Republican National Convention would be impossible given the candidates' pre-existing commitments to the campaign. In other words, none of them actually saw that the president was going to get elected, just that if he got on stage and was next to Putin and they were doing an economic deal, that that could help the president. One person suggested that may put him over the edge, but in all of their ancillary conversations about it, It was all about showing the president was a guy who could cut deals, and that was about getting Trump Tower in Moscow done. In other words, it was not a front for money laundering, and frankly, that's something I suspected, is maybe they were using this property as a way to funnel money out of Moscow. That doesn't appear to be the case at all. Uh, In fact, it definitely doesn't even appear to be the case. They were trying to use it to shape the election. They were trying to use it to build a building in Moscow and help the Trump organization in business it's eric Erickson here the phone number 404 wsb talk let's go to the phones here as we continue our review of the Mueller report today uh jerry you are up next Welk. welcome
0: hey eric thank you thanks for taking my call sure happy early easter to you uh two quick things for you one um here's what i basically got the conclusion from the report is that you know what Trump did something, but we can't find anything, so please help us go find something. It's basically what they're saying is that we know he did something, we just couldn't find anything with all our resources. And then the other point I wanted to bring up is, when did all this um, um, action take place? It all happened under Obama's watch, Clapper's watch, Comey's watch. Yeah. It all happened when they were in power. And I know this has been brought up before, but I think a lot of people lose that um, um, and when they're talking about it. But, I, but the conclusion, like I said, is, hey, he did something, but we couldn't find anything, so we're not going to conclusively conclude um, that there was nothing there. And um, I think people are starting to see that, that this is now becoming definitely um – Something for the 2020 election, but yeah, Jerry, I,
1: I, look, I, I agree with you on that one. In fact, uh, Steny Hoyer, the House Majority Leader, has come out and said that there's going to be no impeachment, that this is, uh, if you don't like it, deal with it at the ballot box. And uh, progressive activists this evening are vilifying Steny Hoyer for this. Uh, do not like that Hoyer is taking this position in any way shape or form they are very 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 upset about it uh they want impeachment hearings and they're not going to get it Nancy pelosi herself has come out and said yeah we're not going to impeach uh we got an election in two years go fight and that's making progressive activists mad when we come back we're going to continue this review also just a real quick uh stay with wsb overnight as these storms come in uh, my sister's home in uh mississippi got impacted by a tornado they're fine the house is mostly fine uh, but the bad storms are coming folks and you need to stay with us Liftoff. We have a It's Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. I'm going to be here till 7 o'clock tonight as we wind our way through the Mueller Report. We'll take your phone calls again, 404-872-0750, one WSB Talk. If you're just tuning in, uh, let me just make one overarching issue here with the station. There are storms coming through overnight into Atlanta. You're going to want to stick with us because uh, they're going to impact probably the drive into the office tomorrow. So between Kirk Mellis, Triple T traffic, Scott Slade, we'll be able to get you where you need to go in the morning. Uh, just real world personal impact on, on this front. Uh, my sister, actually, I was about to text her to tell her hope they're okay during the storm. She lives in Mississippi. And as I was about to do that, got a text from her that they had to huddle in their hallway. As a tornado came over them, uh, took off the siding and gutter on their house, uh, lots of trees and power lines down there. They live south of Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, so definitely very strong storms headed our way. So hope they should wind down some. If you heard Kurt Mellish's weather forecast, they'll wind down some, but still potential for some strong storms. So please be careful out there and stay with us in the morning as you go to the office. I'm going to continue. My plan is until the bottom of this hour— I'm going to focus on the the first volume of the Mueller report. There are two volumes. The first volume is on the collusion or conspiracy to affect the election. The second is on obstruction of justice relating to the both firing of James Comey and obstructing the special prosecutor. At 530, I'm going to switch, even if I haven't made it through all the excerpts I want to read. But instead of having a bunch of people come on and give you analysis and punditry, I mean, for God's sakes, the report was 450 pages long. It was very interesting to see a bunch of reporters who were attacking William Barr a couple of weeks ago for releasing his four page letter to Congress saying, how can he how could he read 450 pages in only 48 hours and do this uh, within minutes of the Mueller report being released? We're already given their analysis. I, so I don't want to do that. I want to read you the key paragraphs and explain to you what they're talking about. Let you make up your own mind. So um, l- l- let me let me continue here. While he was discussing with his foreign contacts a potential meeting of campaign officials with Russian government officials, uh, George Papadopoulos kept campaign officials apprised of his efforts. On April 25th, 2016, the day before Mifsud told Papadopoulos about the emails, uh, these are uh, Russian... Uh, having conversations with each other, and Papadopoulos, the outside guy who lived in London, Papadopoulos wrote to senior policy advisor Stephen Miller that, quote, the Russian government has an open invitation by Putin for Mr. Trump to meet him when he is ready and that, quote, the advantage of being in London is that these governments tend to speak a bit more openly in, quote, unquote, neutral cities. Sounds like he's fluffing himself up, if you ask me. On April 27, 2016, after his meeting with Mifsud, Papadopoulos wrote a second message to Miller, stating that uh, some interesting messages were coming in from Moscow about a trip when the time is right. The same day, Papadopoulos sent a similar email to campaign manager Corey Lewandowski, telling Lewandowski that Papadopoulos had been receiving a lot of calls over the last month about Putin wanting to host Trump and the team when the time is right. When interviewed, Papadopoulos and the campaign officials who interacted with him told the office that they could not recall Papadopoulos' sharing the information that Russia had obtained dirt on candidate Clinton in the form of emails or that Russia had could assist the campaign through the anonymous release of information about Clinton. Papadopoulos stated that he could not clearly recall having told anyone on the campaign and wavered about whether he accurately remembered an incident in which Clovis had been upset about hearing Papadopoulos tell Clovis, that's Sam Clovis, uh, I believe it's Sam Clovis, that Papadopoulos thought they had her emails. The campaign officials who interacted or corresponded with Papadopoulos have similarly stated with various degrees of certainty that he did not tell them. Senior policy advisor Stephen Miller, for example, did not remember hearing anything from Papadopoulos about Russia having emails of or dirt on candidate Clinton. Uh, Clovis, another one of the campaign aides, stated that he did not recall anyone, including Papadopoulos, having given him non-public information that a foreign government might have in possession of uh, material damaging to Hillary Clinton. And the rest of that is redacted and uh, relates to Papadopoulos lying. More likely than not, I should say. That's speculation on my part that it's about him lying, but we know he was charged with lying and and, um, got in trouble. Now, here's some information on Carter Page. Page was eager to accept the invitation to speak uh, at an event and sought approval from the Trump campaign officials to make a trip to Russia. Uh, this was an, an energy summit he was attending. On May 16, 2016, while the request was still under consideration, Carter Page emailed the Trump team and suggested that candidate Trump take his place speaking at the commencement ceremony in Moscow. On June 19, 2016, Carter Page followed up again to request approval to speak at the event and to reiterate uh, that the organiza- organizer of the event would love to have Mr. Trump speak at their annual celebration in Carter Page's place. Campaign manager Corey Lewandowski responded the same day saying, if you want to do this, it would be... Outside of your role with the presidential campaign, I'm certain the uh, Trump, Mr. Trump will not be able to attend. In other words, they were trying to get Trump to go to Russia, and he would not go. Campaign officials say nope. On July 8, 2016, while he was in Moscow, Carter Page emailed several campaign officials and stated he would send a readout soon regarding some incredible insights and outreach I've received from a few Russian legislators and senior members of the presidential administration here. On June 9th of 2016, Page emailed the team, writing in pertinent part, quote, Russian Deputy Prime Minister and NES board member Arkady uh, Vorkovich also spoke before the event. In a private conversation, Vorkovich expressed strong support for Mr. Trump and a desire to work together toward devising better solutions in response to the vast range of current international problems. Based on feedback from a diverse array of other sources close to the presidential administration, it is readily apparent that this sentiment is widely held at all levels of the government. And then the rest of this is um, redacted. There is a relevant footnote, and that footnote is this. The... Uh, Mueller investigators were unable to obtain additional evidence or testimony about who Page may have met or communicated with in Moscow. Thus, Page's activities in Russia, as described in his emails with the campaign, were not fully explained. But then the office found no evidence that the Russian ambassador Kislyak conversed with either Donald Trump or Jeff Sessions after the speech in Washington or would have had the opportunity to do so. Uh, One of the individuals who was involved said he didn't recall seeing Kislyak at the post-speech luncheon, and the only witness who accounted for Sessions' whereabouts stated that Sessions may have spoken to the press after the event, but then departed for Capitol Hill. Others said, based in part on a food-related request he received from the campaign staff members, that Donald Trump left the hotel a few minutes after the speech to go to the airport. So in other words, uh, there was no way for uh, the Russian ambassador to interact with the Trump campaign in the way the media reported. Between April 2016 and the speech at the Mayflower Hotel in the presidential election, Jared Kushner had periodic contact uh, with one of the individuals who was trying to coordinate communication. Those contacts consisted of both in-person meetings and phone conversations, which concerned how to address issues relating to Russia in the campaign and how to move forward with the advisory group of foreign policy uh, experts. The individual who was talking to Kushner recalled that he, not Kushner, initiated all conversations about Russia and that Kushner never asked him to set up back channel conversations. According to this individual who was helping uh, develop Russian foreign policy for the Trump campaign, after the Mueller speech in late April, uh, he, the guy's name is Symes, raised the issue of Russian contacts with Kushner advised that it was bad optics for the campaign to develop hidden Russian contacts and told Kushner that the campaign should not highlight Russia as an issue and should handle any contacts with Russia with care. Kushner provided a similar account. In other words, Jared Kushner and the guy on the Trump campaign who was helping coordinate Russian issues said, wait, 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 we can't do any backdoor deals with the Russians. It would be bad if we did and we should not trust them. Again, that undermines key details that have come out of the media in the last three years. And yet the media today is saying that they got it all right. This evidence, this is direct quotes, I'm reading you a key passages from the Mueller report, undermines so much of what we have. Now, what about that meeting with Natalia Viliznitskaya? Wait until you hear what Mueller said about that. It's Eric Erickson here on WSB Atlantis Evening News. Uh, I am reading portions of the Mueller report, uh, and I'm trying to put them in context for you, but allowing you to make up your own mind here. And the main reason I'm doing this is because I think so much of the uh, conversation today about the Mueller report is from partisan lines. Uh, The Trump campaign and Donald Trump himself come across looking very badly in the report. They do. Uh, He is not exonerated, contrary to claims from the White House. But he's also not guilty of any sort of collusion or conspiring with the Russians to steal the election. Um the issue with him is obstruction of justice. And at the bottom of the hour, we'll get to that. Uh, but on the collusion stuff, it is the the Mueller report is absolutely committed to the fact that uh, the they may have behaved in some cases unethically and we're about to get into one, but they didn't behave illegally, the Trump campaign. And the one that, that is questionable ethics comes from the Trump campaign meeting on June 9th, 2016 with Natalia Uh Let me read you from the Mueller report. On June 9th, 2016, senior representatives of the Trump campaign met in Trump tire with a Russian attorney expecting to receive derogatory information about Hillary Clinton from the Russian government. The meeting was proposed to Donald Trump Jr. in an email from Robert Goldstone at the request of his then-client, Emin Aguilararov the son of Russian real estate developer Aras Agalarov, Goldstone relayed to Trump Jr. that the crown prosecutor, this is a direct quote, crown prosecutor of Russia offered to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia as part of Russia and its government support for Mr. Trump, end quote. Trump Jr. immediately responded that, quote, if that's what you say, I love it close quote, and arranged the meeting through a series of emails and phone calls. Trump Jr. invited campaign chairman Paul Manafort and senior advisor Jared Kushner to attend the meeting and both did. Members of the campaign discussed the meeting before it occurred and Michael Cohen recalls that Trump Jr. may have told candidate Trump about an upcoming meeting to receive adverse information about Clinton without linking the meeting to Russia. According to written answers submitted by President Trump, he had no recollection of learning of the meeting at the time, and the office found no evidence showing that he was made aware of the meeting or its Russian connection before it occurred. The Russian attorney who spoke at the meeting, Natalia Vilsnitskaya, did not actually provide the information. She claimed there were funds derived from legal activities in Russia provided to Hillary Clinton in the documents and never brought forward the information before shifting the conversation to something she wanted to talk about. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 a.m. 750 WSB. Uh, taking your phone calls on the Mueller Report, 404 872 750 wsb talk and reading through the Mueller Report, letting you make up your own mind, uh, reading you the key portions of the Mueller Report, uh, not cherry-picking per se. I, I got an email from someone saying, read the whole thing. It's 450 pages, uh, but I can read you the, the uh, opening Uh, paragraphs of each portion of it and let you make up your own mind. We have dealt with the collusion issue. I got a a call I want to take on uh, that issue, and then I'm going to move on to the obstruction issues or, yeah, the obstruction issues. The report was in two volumes. Volume one was collusion. Volume two was obstruction. Uh, The Mueller report, very clear findings. There was no collusion. The Trump officials did talk to Russians, but had no knowledge That they were talking to russians uh they got played by the russians uh i think it is a fair criticism to say that at one point though they were offered uh in trump tower a former lawyer for the russians offering to hand them information damaging to hillary clinton and they didn't say anything to anyone but I suspect now when reading the Mueller report, I know why. Because according to the introductory material setting up the meeting, it was officially documented information. So in other words, it was information that was would have been in the public record if it existed. And it turns out it didn't exist, but that was the pretense to get the meeting. This was the meeting with Natalia Vilsnitskaya, and it turns out the meeting was actually to talk about the Magnitsky Act uh, that imposed sanctions on Russia. She never really had any information on Hillary Clinton. She was just claiming to, to get the meeting. Now uh, let me go take this call from Jim in Atlanta. Welcome to the program, Jim.
0: Hello, uh, how you doing? Good. How are you? Um, regarding the, the excerpt you just read about the Trump Tower meeting, did the, the, the report mention that the uh, someone from G, uh, GPS Fusion, uh, perhaps Glenn Simpson, met with the Russian lawyer before and after the Trump Tower meeting?
1: That's uh, there's nothing about Fusion GPS in the report. I see. So so there is some speculation, and it appears that the the attorney general does want to look into how some of these things were set up. And the attorney general now is looking into the origination of the Christopher Steele dossier, and that apparently does involve the Democratic opposition research firm uh, Fusion GPS. So a new investigation may find that, but this investigation was not looking into that. Now. I want to move on to the uh, Mueller findings relating to obstruction. And again, I'm going to read you passages. I will put them in context. I will allow you to go where you want with them. Okay, here we go. This is obstruction. This is the very beginning of the obstruction volume. First, a traditional prosecution or declination decision entails a binary determination to initiate or decline a prosecution. But we determine not to make a traditional prosecutorial judgment. The Office of Legal Counsel has issued an opinion finding that the indictment or criminal prosecution of a sitting president would impermissibly undermine the capacity of the executive branch to perform its constitutionally assigned functions in violation of the constitutional separation of powers. Given the role of the special counsel as an attorney in the Department of Justice and the framework of the special counsel regulations, this office accepted... Uh, that legal conclusion for the purpose of exercising prosecutorial jurisdiction. And apart from that constitutional view, we recognize that a federal criminal accusation against a sitting president would place burdens on the president's capacity to govern and potentially preempt constitutional processes for addressing presidential misconduct. Second, while that opinion concludes that a sitting president may not be prosecuted, It recognizes that a criminal investigation during the president's term is permissible. The Office of Legal Counsel opinion also recognizes that a president does not have immunity after he leaves office. And if individuals other than the president committed an obstruction offense, they may be prosecuted at that time. Given those considerations, the facts known to us, and the strong public interest in safeguarding the integrity of the criminal justice system, we concluded a thorough factual investigation in order to preserve the evidence when memories were fresh and documentary material was available. Third... We considered whether to evaluate the conduct we investigated under the justice manual standards governing prosecution and declension decisions, but we determined not to apply an approach that could potentially result in a judgment that the president committed crimes. The threshold step under the justice manual standards is to assess whether a person's conduct constituted a federal offense. Fairness concerns counseled against potentially reaching that judgment when no charges can be brought. The ordinary means for an individual to respond to an accusation is through a speedy and public trial with all of the procedural protections that surround a criminal case. An individual who believes he was wrongly accused can use that process to seek to clear his name. In contrast, a prosecutor's judgment that crimes were committed and that no charges will be brought affords no such adversarial opportunity for public name clearing before an impartial adjudicator. That's a really important point being glossed over today. It's not that they decided, well, the president can't be prosecuted, so we're not going to go there. It's that they decided they're not going to say whether or not we think he's guilty because there'd be no way for the president to clear his name. So they're going to lay out the facts and allow the attorney general to decide what to do. That's where we are with the obstruction case. And boy, do they lay out some facts. We'll get to those when we come back. Okay guys, a quick timeout for this week's sponsor and you know the I get a script when you do a live read You get a script and it gives you suggested talking points And so this week the sponsor is my butterfly pillow and I appreciate it And you know the script starts that not all of us sleep the same way 63% of americans sleep on their side Are you one of them and then talks about my butterfly pillow forget the script I can do this one Why can I do this one because i've been traveling with my butterfly pillow? When I have to stay in hotels of late, because, you know, hotel pillows, just, they, they're like pancakes. I mean, they're really, really, really fluffy and you put your head on them and they, I mean, flat out pancakes. And I have stayed at a hotel recently where I know there was a bunch of road noise. And so one of the cool things about my butterfly pillow is that in addition to being adjustable, I mean, you can adjust the height on this thing, but it also has a Bluetooth night owl speaker. So you can actually stream from your phone to the pillow and listen to music or podcast, or I use the call map when I'm in a hotel and listen to it on my butterfly pillow. So you get a soft pillow, but it doesn't flatten out like a pancake, and you can adjust it so it, it supports your neck. Your neck doesn't get cricked. It's just it's it's a great pillow. It is thoughtfully designed, clearly by people who have had these problems. And you know, as the script says, it, it keeps your neck and spine in alignment throughout the night, even if you switch sides. It really does really am a fan of this pillow and listeners to my show can save $30 off the list price of $129 use code Eric at checkout and you'll get my butterfly pillow for just $99 and free shipping in the continental United States go to mybutterflypillow.com and enter code Eric at checkout Save $30 and get free shipping that's mybutterflypillow.com. butterfly check out code Eric and the great thing about it is you can take it with you to these hotels that have these horrible horrible fluffy pillows that flatten out like pancakes you can use my butterfly pillow and get a good night's sleep. Welcome back. We continue to uh, work our way through the Mueller report as much as we can. I'm going to be here for another hour reading through it. I, I want to read you a fourth reason why the Mueller team decided not to make a specific finding on obstruction, if you'll recall, uh, the first is because the the president is presumed not to be able to be indicted. The second is because uh, they if the president couldn't be indicted, they did not want to uh, basically say he's guilty when he had no way to fight it. A third reason was because they believe it uh, they needed to lay out a factual case and did not want to make the initial prosecutorial discretion of whether or not there was or was not, and then lastly this, if we had confidence after a thorough investigation of the facts that the president clearly did not commit obstruction of justice, we would so state. Based on the facts and the applicable legal standards, however, we're unable to reach that judgment. The evidence we obtained about the president's actions and intent presents difficult issues that prevent us from conclusively determining no criminal conduct occurred. Accordingly, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. That's the intro. Let's now begin. uh, And there are some redactions here, a lot of it related to the Roger Stone situation and other matters. The campaign's response to reports about Russian support for Trump. During the 2016 presidential campaign... Questions arose about the Russian government's apparent support for candidate Trump. After WikiLeaks released politically damaging Democratic Party emails that were reported to have been hacked by Russia, Trump publicly expressed skepticism that Russia was responsible for the hacks at the same time he and other campaign officials privately sought information about any further planned WikiLeaks releases. Trump also denied having any business in or connections to Russia, even though as late as June 2016, the Trump Organization had been pursuing a licensing deal for a skyscraper to be built in Russia called Trump Tower Moscow. After the election, the president expressed concerns to advisors that reports of Russia's election interference might lead the public to question the legitimacy of his election. And it goes downhill from there. I'll continue this and take your phone calls when we come back. welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. I am giving you an extra hour of coverage tonight to work through the Mueller report. Uh, Thank you very much, by the way, to a number of listeners who have emailed in over the last hour just appreciating the approach here. I debated this all day how to do it, uh, whether to have people on. I had reached out to the White House earlier uh, and members of Congress, had several members of Congress reach out to me and say they wanted to be on. And Ultimately, I concluded just watching all of the coverage today that you weren't actually learning anything about what Mueller said. You were learning what people wanted you to think about what Mueller said. And I would rather actually read the report to you, the key excerpts, and let you make up your own mind. Uh, The president does not come off looking good in this report. He doesn't. Uh, but he also doesn't come off looking like a felon either. Uh, it very much is clear Hillary Clinton did not lose the election because of the Russians and Trump coordinating. Now, I'm happy to take your phone calls as well this hour. 404-872-0750-1800, WSB Talk. Uh, next hour, Alan Sanders is going to be here to continue this uh, ongoing approach. And reminder, tomorrow I'll be here 4 to 6. And then from 6 to 8, we're going to drop the political coverage and news coverage and move into the Good Friday show, as we always do on Good Friday That'll be 6 to 8 tomorrow night. Now, uh, let me read you some excerpts here. Um, I want to re- begin again this particular quote so that you have it in full. I kind of rushed it in that last segment. During the 2016 presidential campaign, questions arose about the Russian government's apparent support for candidate Trump. After WikiLeaks released politically damaging Democratic Party emails that were reported to have been hacked by Russia, Trump publicly expressed skepticism that Russia was responsible for the hacks at the same time he and other campaign officials privately sought information. And then there's an area redacted, and the guess from every single person under the sun left and right is that it, it uh, from Roger Stone are the three words that were redacted, about any further planned WikiLeaks releases. Trump also denied having any business in or connections to Russia, even though as late as June 2016, the Trump organization had been pursuing a licensing deal for a skyscraper to be built in Russia called Trump Tower Moscow. After the election, the president expressed concerns to advisers that reports of Russian election interference might lead the public to question the legitimacy of his election. Now, conduct involving FBI Director Comey and Mike Flynn. In mid-January 2017, incoming National Security Advisor Michael Flynn falsely denied to the Vice President of the United States other administration officials, and Federal Bureau of Investigation agents that he had talked to Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak about Russia's response to U.S. sanctions on Russia for its election interference. On January 27, the day after the president was told that Flynn had lied to the vice president and had made similar statements to the FBI, the president invited FBI Director Comey to a private dinner at the White House and told Comey that he needed loyalty. On February 14th, the day after the president requested Mike Flynn's resignation, the president told an outside adviser, quote, Now that we have fired Flynn, the Russia thing is over, end quote. The adviser disagreed and said the investigation would continue. Later that afternoon, the president cleared the Oval Office to have a one-on-one meeting with Comey. Referring to the FBI's investigation of Flynn, the president said, quote, I hope you can see your way clear to letting this go, to letting Flynn go. He's a good guy. I hope you can let this go, end quote. Shortly after requesting Flynn's resignation and speaking privately with Comey, the president sought to have the National Security Advisor, K.T. McFarlane, draft an internal letter stating that the president had not directed Flynn, to discuss sanctions with Kislyak. McFarland declined because she did not know whether that was true, and a White House Counsel's Office Attorney thought that the request would look like a quid pro quo for an ambassadorship she had been offered. In other words, the president fired Flynn after it was clear Flynn had lied and then asked Comey to stop prosecuting Flynn because Flynn was a good guy and then asked the deputy national security advisor to draft a letter stating that the president had not told Mike Flynn to discuss sanctions with Kislyak. Curious that he would ask the national, the deputy national security advisor to do that after firing Mike Flynn. Okay. Next, next segment, the president's reaction to the ongoing investigation. In February of 2017, Attorney General Jeff Sessions began to assess whether he had to recuse himself from campaign-related investigations because of his role in the Trump campaign. In early March, the president told White House counsel Don McGahn to stop Jeff Sessions from recusing himself. And after Sessions announced his recusal on March 2nd, the president expressed anger at the decision and told advisors he should have an attorney general who would protect him. That weekend, the president took Sessions aside at an event and urged him to, quote-unquote, unrecuse himself. Later in March, James Comey publicly disclosed at a congressional hearing the FBI was investigating the Russian government's efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election, including any links or coordination between the Russian government and the Trump campaign. In the following days, the president reached out to the director of national intelligence and the leaders of the CIA and the NSA, to ask them what they could do to publicly dispel the suggestion that the president had any connection to the Russian election interference effort, the president also twice called Comey directly, notwithstanding guidance from Don McGahn, the White House counsel, to avoid direct contacts with the Department of Justice. Comey, this, 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 this is important here. Comey had previously assured the president that the FBI was not investigating him personally. And the president asked Comey to lift the cloud of the Russia investigation by saying that publicly. Now, I want to pause from reading here and set the stage here because it involves what William Barr, the attorney general, said this morning. One of their conclusions, William Barr and Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, for why the president could not be prosecuted for obstruction is because the president did not have intent to obstruct. The president's reasoning and actions were based on emotions, not intentions. The president believed that he was being unfairly maligned and that his victory was being unfairly maligned. And the president had been told by James Comey, as I just read you in the report, Comey had previously assured the president the FBI was not investigating him personally. Media reports made it sound like Trump himself was involved. The president was very angry about it, and he wanted Comey to publicly say that the president was not personally being investigated. When Comey refused, the president fired him. It was an emotional response. It was not designed to obstruct. It does not appear that the president attempted to obstruct the investigation uh, into Russia by James Comey. His obstruction actually came uh, later in other conduct that the president did. Um, it, again, there are 10 instances that the special prosecutor looked like, looked at, and we're walking through those 10 instances here. Uh, I want to finish walking through these before we get to the rest. Uh, so if you will forgive me for keeping you on hold on the phones, uh, I think it's important that I set the stage for the rest of these, and then I'll take your phone calls. We'll be back here in a minute. I have to pause momentarily. Um, <laughs> my sister is texting me. And while she's texting me this, I'm getting several emails from listeners asking the same question. Uh, and, and I'm I, I, they can't be coordinated because they don't know each other, but it is Easter weekend and everybody wants to do a ham. So let me just tell you, go get a city ham. That That is not a country ham, a city ham. A city ham is typically pre-smoked, pre-cooked. You just heat it up in the oven. All you do... Is You take a quarter cup of honey, a quarter cup of brown sugar, two tablespoons of bourbon, turn it into a syrup on the stove, just bring it to a boil, baste it all over the ham, and then pack on crushed ginger snaps. And stick it in the oven just like the directions say about 250 300 degrees bring it up to 140 degrees in internal you're good uh if you want recipes like this text recipe to 345345 but that's it all you do is uh brush on some honey brown sugar and bourbon uh, add crushed ginger snaps and just bring it up to heat uh you just want the internal temperature to be like 140 degrees just don't do it too fast or the uh ginger snaps will burn but that's it that that's your ham for easter now We can resume our conversation about the Mueller. Um, I want to focus on the key next portion of the Mueller report, and that is the efforts to undermine the special counsel's investigation. Two days after directing White House counsel McGahn to have the special counsel removed, the president made another attempt to affect the course of the Russia investigation. On June 19, 2017, the president met one-on-one in the Oval Office with his former campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, a trusted advisor outside the government, and dictated a message for Lewandowski to deliver to Sessions. The message said that Sessions should publicly announce that notwithstanding his recusal from the Russia investigation, the investigation was very unfair to the president, and the president had done nothing wrong, and Sessions planned to meet with the special counsel to let him move forward with investigating election meddling for future elections. Lewandowski said he understood what the president wanted Sessions to do. One month later, in another private meeting with Lewandowski on July 19, 2017, the president asked about the status of his message for Sessions to limit the special counsel investigation to future election interference. Lewandowski told the president that the message would be delivered soon. Hours after the meeting, the president uh, publicly criticized Sessions and then issued a series of tweets making it clear Sessions' job was in jeopardy. Lewandowski did not want to deliver the president's message personally, so he asked Rick Dearborn, another White House official, to deliver it. Dearborn did not do it either. There you go, folks. Bunch of people working for the president, not doing what the president wanted, keeping the president from trouble. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, News ninety five five AM, seven fifty WSB. Reminder: six o'clock tomorrow night, the Good Friday show. Uh, I want to go on, and I don't want to keep TJ on hold any longer. It's been there for almost half an hour. TJ, welcome to the program. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you?
0: Good. Hey, so I was uh, listening to Bloomberg today, and some talking head uh, was talking about the uh, the Mueller report, and and the question came up about. About getting access to the, the grand jury testimony. And this guy said the only way that could happen was through the process of impeachment. So that's my first question. Is that true? And second, if so, is that because that would that would be basically the only legal reason for getting access to that information?
1: Yes. Um, Congress would have to subpoena it in an, in an impeachment process. Uh, grand jury information, according to federal law, is prohibited from being made public unless it relates to an impeachment. Among There are a number of other things, um, but impeachment being chief among them. So if Congress impeaches the president, uh, they could get that information. Otherwise, they really can't. Uh, now, that actually – TJ, I'm glad you raised that question because there are only uh, – a couple of categories, a few categories, that, Bob, uh, that William Barr redacted. Uh, the president exerted no executive privilege. So there are no claims from the president that information should not be released. Uh, what there is is grand jury information, uh, grand jury information prohibited by law. Classified information along with the sources and methods of conducting that information, that is all prohibited by law from being released. Uh, Another category that was uh, redacted was impairment of other cases, in particular Roger Stone. In fact, the overwhelming majority of redacted information is about existing pending cases. Uh, And then the last one is information that could damage the reputation of innocent people. They redacted that. So if there's a third party who may have said something, uh, they redacted who that person was so that that person could not be dragged into the affair when they had no culpability. They didn't want to damage that person's reputation. That's it. Uh, But there are no executive privilege claims in the entire report, which is actually pretty impressive. Now, I want to read you uh, the last two things here for the evening so that you kind of get the full picture of the obstruction issue. Although the series of events we investigated involve discrete acts, the overall pattern of the president's conduct towards the investigations can shed light on the nature of the president's acts and the inferences that can be drawn about his intent. In particular, the actions we investigated can be divided into two phases, reflecting a possible shift in the president's motives. The first phase covered the period from the president's first interactions with Comey through the president's firing of Comey. During that time, the president had been repeatedly told he was not personally under investigation. Soon after the firing of Comey and the appointment of the special counsel, however, the president became aware that his own conduct was being investigated in an obstruction of justice inquiry. At that point, the president engaged in a second phase of conduct involving public attacks on the investigation, non-public efforts to control it, and efforts in both public and private to encourage witnesses not to cooperate with the investigation. Judgments about the nature of the president's motives during each phase would be informed by the totality of the evidence. And what they discovered is that the the overwhelming majority of the totality of the evidence shows the president did try to obstruct the investigation and wasn't successful. And there's no such thing as attempted obstruction. But also... That the president had no uh, intent to obstruct he was making emotional decisions driven by his belief that he was innocent and being smeared let me now read you this key portion of what the Mueller report says the president's efforts to influence the investigation were mostly unsuccessful and that is largely because the persons who surrounded the president declined to carry out orders or accede to his requests james comey did not end the investigation of mike flynn which ultimately resulted in mike flynn's prosecution and conviction for lying to the fbi white house counsel don mcgahn did not tell the acting attorney general that the special counsel must be removed but instead prepared to resign over the president's order Corey Lewandowski and Rick Dearborn did not deliver the president's message to Jeff Sessions that he should confine the Russia investigation to further election meddling only. Don McGahn refused to recede from his recollection about events surrounding the president's direction to have the special counsel removed, despite the president's demands repeatedly that he do so. Consistent with that pattern, the evidence we obtained would not support potential obstruction charges against the president's aides and associates beyond those already filed. In considering the full scope we investigated, the president's actions can be divided into phases. Those are what I just read. In other words, all of the progressives out there who have been telling us that people needed to not work for President Trump and that people should be bullied and prevented from working for President Trump, and people should resign rather than continue to working for President Trump. Thankfully, the people who work for President Trump did not listen. The president has avoided a charge of obstruction of justice because though he wanted people to do things on his behalf, those people did not comply. There is no attempted obstruction. It's either you obstructed or you didn't. And because the people the president surrounded himself with tended to be honest, competent people, they refused to comply with the things the president wanted them to do, thereby sparing the president an obstruction of justice charge. We want good people to surround the president, and those who have been harassing the people who surround the president are the people who clearly would have put us on a course for a major constitutional crisis. It's a good thing their harassment and intimidation did not work. It is Eric Erickson here. An extended hour of Atlanta's evening news. Thanks very much to Mark Aram for letting me do this this evening. Uh, being able to walk through this, and then again tomorrow night six to eight, the Good Friday show. I will be here four to six though, and we'll be taking your calls. Uh, we'll we'll get more into the the detailed analysis and my takes on the Mueller report. But honestly, I, so I turned on CNN this morning as things were were moving forward, and was listening. And so much of what so many of their pundits were saying was so bad and so wrong. And same on MSNBC. For example, you had analysts and pundits saying uh, that the president coined the collusion term, not them. And that's not true at all. Uh, it was the media that first started using the collusion narrative uh, and, and not, a cons- not the words conspiracy. It's just it was unfortunate that that they wanted to spin in that way. And it really, really aggravated me in hearing it. Um, So I just, I found that problematic. Um, Moving forward, I do want to go through, and I'll give you my hot takes if you want. Um, I, I will give you my overarching take, though, and that is this. The Mueller report definitively shows there was no collusion. There was certainly unethical behavior by Trump. Administrator or Trump campaign staffers. They, they did things that I don't think a, a good person should have done, but they were in it to win it. And that happens in campaigns. It also shows that Paul Manafort was a pretty nefarious dude who was not in the pockets of the Russians or trying to get the Trump administration to work with the Russians. He was in it to make money. Uh, Manafort, the document show, was trying to steer uh, business to himself and thought if he could show the russians he was uh, useful to them with with uh, trump they would send him more business in eastern europe that's that's what he wanted It wasn't about getting Trump to be a pawn of the Russians or anything else like that. It was about Manafort wanting more business from the Russians. So all of these things taken together show a a group of deeply self-interested people who did not have really Donald Trump's interests at heart. And then in the, the other situation with obstruction, Donald Trump was his own worst enemy. He was protected by the people who worked for him, and you can't Uh, you can't underestimate the ability of having good people around the president who refused to do the things the president wanted, who apparently didn't even know they were illegal. He just wanted them done and they were illegal if they had been done. So he was protected by good people. See you guys tomorrow.